Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Dallas Debt Discussion for September 11th, 2017. Sixteen years ago was a dreadful day in this country. I'm sure just about everybody remembers it, and I hope nobody ever forgets it. It's too bad that our own government did that to us. Don't let Thank you tell for you acknowledging that. Yeah, don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Anyway, I would like to welcome everybody. We're here to help people. This is Dallas Debt Discussion. It's not a program where you get legal advice. If you are here seeking legal advice, please either just listen in for the fun of it or hang up and tomorrow consult an attorney because that's where you're going to get legal advice. You don't get any legal advice here. We discuss debt issues. We discuss the debt collection statutes and the fair credit reporting statute, which I know we're going to have some conversation on tonight. Uh, we discuss the Telephone Consumer Protection Act, but we don't ever give legal advice. And one of the main reasons is we have no clue what it is. That's something that's dispensed by attorneys, so if you want to please go see one of them, and uh, they'll charge you for it. They don't do it for free, and they uh, usually get pretty well paid. <clears throat> but the bottom line is, no legal advice here. Uh, when you come on TalkShoe on this call, you are unmuted. I can have everybody muted. I can set the call that way so everybody comes on, then whenever they want to talk, they got to raise their hand, and then i got to find out why they want to say something and all that. I choose not to do that. We are all grown-ups here, for the most part, most of the time. Once in a while, we get one of the kids that comes in and tries to be a pain in the neck, but we know how to deal with them. Uh, the bottom line is you're unmuted when you come on. To mute yourself, which I ask everybody to do, you hit star six on the keypad in your phone. It's very simple. Or, you know, if you've got a mute feature on your phone. The main thing is we don't want to have all the extraneous noise because we have a lot of people that listen to these recorded calls to learn from. That's the whole object of why we're here, where it's about education. And I would just ask that everybody have themselves muted so that we don't have that uh, outside noise <clears throat> that interrupts because people are trying to learn and the recording is listened to by many, many people. And I, we have people that are going back and listening to recordings five, six, seven years ago. I mean, uh, I started doing this a long time ago. I think I started in, what, 2009? Uh, so the bottom line is please have yourself muted. When we get to Q&A, the way that you raise your hand, to ask a question or make a comment is just hit star 8 on the keypad on your phone. If you would please have yourself muted using star 6 first, that saves a step that I've got to do here. I would appreciate that. I mention that all the time, and we still have a lot of people that don't do it, but it's not the end of the world. But we always, always, always start out the calls with good news. Very simple reason for that. There's plenty of bad news out there. We all know that. I try and avoid listening to all of the crap. 
but uh, there is plenty of it, and we want to hear about the good things that are happening, people having success in what they're doing. Um, it doesn't have to be a major thing. It can be, uh, you know, you get a settlement check or you arrange a settlement or maybe you have a good outcome in a court case uh, or a hearing or, or who knows what. Maybe you just get a compliment from somebody that's important. Maybe you get a compliment from an attorney, a good attorney. Maybe you get a compliment from a judge. You know, we want to know about those things. So if anybody has any good news, all you have to do is speak up. You don't have to hit star eight, put yourself in the queue. So if anybody has any good news, let's start with that. Oh, goodness, Terry. It's overwhelming, isn't it? Mm, definitely. <laughs> Well, good news ebbs, ebbs and flows, as I've said so many times. Sometimes we get a, a rash of it, and other times we don't have any, and that's fine. Sometimes we get people to come on late. We've had some people getting settlements recently. I uh, I settled a case recently, and I'm very happy with the results. And uh, another one of our members was uh, on last week and uh, mentioned that uh, he uh, settled a case and... Uh, that's, that's a good thing. I mean, one of the things that I always keep saying, and I will continue to keep saying it, is if you have a claim against someone else and you are not talking to them, if you're refusing to communicate with them, how are you ever going to get a settlement? You have to communicate with the other side and my policy in doing so is very simple. <clears throat> I'm always going to remind them every time I have communications pretty much, just literally just about every single time, that I'm always open to settlement. I always, if I'm emailing with an attorney or even with a representative of a company, I always throw that out there because the question is, what is it that we're looking for? Are we looking for a big battle? Are we looking for a court fight? Are we looking to spend a lot of time in court? Are you that confident that you want to be there? Or are you looking for a settlement check? Well, I can guarantee you, if you aren't having discussions with the other side, you are not going to get a settlement check. That's just not the way it works. They don't read your mind, know what you want, and just send you a check in the mail and say, well, I hope you're happy. So don't be afraid to engage the other side and let them know that you're interested. That doesn't mean you're, you're being easy, that you're a pushover. It just means that you're letting them know that the door is always open to settlement, even though you said, well, you know, hey, you know, if, you, uh, <clears throat> if you want to push this, you know, we can have the jury decide, because I always make a point of telling them that if they want to push an issue. Hey, you know, if you want to if you want to make a big deal out of this, that's fine. You know, we we don't we don't need to you know have any more discussions. We can just let the jury decide. You know, and uh, uh, some of the juries lately have been pretty darn good to the plaintiffs. So. Uh, you know, it's up to you, whatever you want to do, Mr. Defendant or Ms. Defendant. So always engage in conversation. That's how you're going to get to the end result that you're looking for. Okay. Uh, Terry, 
I know you're probably chewing at the bit a little bit to make some comments regarding the Equifax situation. Um, why don't you go ahead and say what you want to say about that, you know, related to the email exchanges we've had today and stuff? Well, I don't know how close everybody's been paying attention to what's really going on with this Equifax hack that was revealed, I believe, uh, last week. Um, I don't remember the exact date, Dave. You might. I'm thinking it was Friday, I believe Thursday it. or Friday. Yeah, that sounds about right to me. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and ever since that happened, A, it was no big surprise to me or anybody else because we know one thing about the CRAs and all other large corporations that have anything to do with commerce with the American people or the world for that matter. Compliance with the law is is, uh, cost prohibitive for all of them. And I don't give a damn what law it is, whether it's a consumer protection statute or a banking regulation or uh, uh, governmental regulations in regard to what uh, kind of nasty shenanigans politicians can get up to. It's all about the bottom line and what they can get away with. We have known because um, so many of us in this group have done a lot of digging over the last few years, and we've exposed a lot of facts, such as uh, when the Congress forced them to, the CRAs devised a system called Metro 2, in part, and that's an automated system, for uh, the maintaining of uh, accuracy, supposedly, and storing of consumer data uh, at, at the highest supposed standards to ensure security and accuracy for the American public. Part of that system is eOSCAR. That's the electronic system that our disputes go through. Then I, because I had to, <laughs> um, dove into studying that system during my case against Midland. And I discovered that Equifax was the only one of the three major credit reporting agencies that was storing and processing disputes in country, so to speak. In other words, their databases were being maintained here, their uh, dispute processes, while it also uses the Metro 2 system and eOSCAR, also was being routed within the United States. The other two credit reporting agencies um, are now almost exclusively, other than VIP accounts, meaning if you're a politician, a banker, a celebrity, somebody like that, 
if you're just an ordinary peon like the rest of us, um, and you file a dispute, your dispute gets processed and routed to a third world country electronically. On the other side of the world, where <laughs> the people manning uh, those computers such as they are, may not even speak English. And they're certainly not reading your disputes. Everything is automated and routed out of the country. Why? The two CRAs that are doing that, TransUnion and Experience, make literally billions of dollars off the dispute process. And I did go into that in some detail in one of my webinars, exactly how they do it. Now, along comes this hack. And what starts seeping out of the woodwork? First of all, the hack happened months ago. It simply was not revealed until last Friday. And it wasn't just a one-time somebody got, get, got in there and got some information and, and ran off with it. No. And to make matters worse, the following things took place. First, Equifax was actively lobbying Congress to enforce arbitration over hacks. Let that sink in. They didn't get anywhere, thank God. But they sure were trying. Then, before it was revealed and announced to the public what had happened and how many millions of us, and I just want to point out that it's a lot more than the 1.43 million they claim. You mean uh, 143 million? 143 million, I'm sorry. <clears throat> right. That, that they claim virtually all of us are at risk, and most especially if you ever made a dispute. And I'll explain that in a minute. So, um, anyway, <laughs> before they did that, it would appear that insiders were dumping their stocks. Insider trading. So as to take advantage of it and avoid losing mountains of money when the announcement came out that the hack had happened because inevitably their stocks were going to take a dive the minute that hit the wire. Then it just keeps getting better. They, um, by way of saying... It's not our fault. It's not our fault. We're doing everything we can to fix it. Um, they send out notices that at a website link where supposedly you can go and put in your information and find out if you are likely to be directly impacted by it. Well... Sure. I went to that site. I clicked on their buttons. 
And the only way you can do that, ladies and gentlemen, is to sign up and enroll for their credit monitoring product, which, of course, they will give you free for a year. Now, if we haven't learned anything around here about credit information and what I shared recently about what they're doing with archived and obsolete information, statutes of limitation, debt buyers, the nature of the debt changing hands, and identity theft, we certainly have learned that any real adverse action that happens to you as a result of this hack is most likely not going to come to your personal attention inside of a year. Very little chance of that. So when the year is up, in order to continue to protect yourself, you've got to pay them $30 a month. Now, I don't know about everybody else, but the rat dar on the back of my neck is doing the boogaloo 24-7 on this one. First, they lobby Congress to force everybody into arbitration if a hack happens. Well, that tells you right there they know that they're not secure, okay, at the very least. Then a major hack does happen. They short sell themselves. They, you know, it, I don't know what the term is. Dump all their stocks themselves, monetize the hell out of that, and then force all the victims to enroll in their credit monitoring. And if that doesn't look like an inside setup job to everybody else, then my name's not Terry. And it just is, it, it just keeps getting worse every day. Then yesterday it came out that the initial database that was hacked wasn't the ordinary just, you know, database that contains everybody's name, address, telephone number, and social security number. Oh, no. It was the database specifically containing all consumer dispute data, which is why. Well, who's making the noise? Okay, go ahead. Which is why when um, the hackers got a hold of the data, what is required when you file a dispute, you must prove to the CRAs, Equifax or the other two, doesn't matter, you've got to prove your identity. So when you send a dispute in, what does it contain as well as your dispute? A copy of your driver's license as well as your social security card. Now, even if you had, and, and that's the other thing, 
if you sign up for their credit monitoring over this hack, then that puts like a permanent fraud alert on your credit report. If the if the hackers have all of your personal information, including a copy of your damn driver's license, they've got the documentation it takes to just reverse that and take it off. They can do anything posing as you, but they're not going to tell you that. So, to me, they have used this, whether it was an inside job or an actual hack, and we're likely never to know, <coughs> okay, but they have used it as an opportunity to fleece the people of this country in a big, big way and create a panic everywhere. And do they care? No, because they already made the money selling those stocks. And they know well, when it dies down, those will go back up. Yeah, speaking of the stock, Terry, um, to give everybody an idea how much of a difference there was, last Thursday... The hack, the hack was announced Friday. Last Thursday, their stock closed at $142.72. Today, it closed at $113, and it's going down hard. It'll be down more tomorrow. Yeah, and last night, the most ridiculous. I don't know if everybody saw that or not. I, I just, it, it actually made me chuckle because it was every bit as stupid as some of the outlandish, ridiculous crap our government has tried to sell us, well, even over 9-11, okay? An email came out last night with a video of these two hackers, wherever the hell they're supposed to be, somewhere outside the country. Apparently, it didn't happen here. But these guys are union members. I believe it was the U.K., if I'm not mistaken i could be mistaken on the location anyway these two hackers who claim to have done it said they can't help it their families are suffering in the in the collapsed economy and they have to have money and they demanded i forget how many millions of dollars and well they demanded something like uh, I, I can't remember the number but a bunch of bitcoin like what, yeah. two and a half million dollars worth of Bitcoin, something like right, that? Right, right. They wanted Bitcoin in payment in <laughs> ransom, and if they, you know, when it was paid, they would destroy uh, the data. But if they were not paid, they were going to start monetizing the data in other ways, blah, blah, blah. Bottom line is, it was so completely lame that if, in fact, it, it would be true that two idiots like that were holding one of the biggest credit reporting agencies and, in effect, the United States citizenry um, for ransom, they would have tracked their butts down and arrested them in less than 24 hours. Now, my intelligence... <laughs> is definitely insulted by that lame attempt, you know, to show, oh, well, well, we know who did it, blah, 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 they've 
contacted us. Oh, give me a break. So, right now, I see it as a big opportunity for us. Given what we've learned recently. Listen carefully, everybody. None of the three CRAs are in compliance with the FCRA by using their fancy-dancy Metro 2 and EOSCAR system, period. Why? The FCRA, nowhere in the FCRA, does that statute state that the consumer has the right to a credit report once a year. Nowhere. The word credit is not used, and we have to stop using that word. I don't want to hear that word anymore, and, and I'll go into that a little bit more later. Nowhere does it say that. The law instead requires, and they are absolutely required to give it to us, all consumers have a right to request and receive a full disclosure of all consumer information that is compiled, maintained, and it, whether it is obsolete, meaning past statute of limitations, or archived, meaning it's 20, 30 years old, doesn't matter, all of it. That is a full file disclosure. File disclosure, everybody, consumer file. Not a credit file, not a credit report. Don't use that word anymore. It is a consumer file. That is what we are entitled to. Instead, they have designed this annualcreditreport.com website and convinced Congress <coughs> that that was their way to provide everybody what they're entitled to once a year. But there's a problem. Nowhere on annualcreditreport.com does it have a button that allows you to request a full file disclosure, does it? No. That only allows you to ask for what? A credit report. That's not what the law says. That's not what you're entitled to. But everybody hasn't paid any attention to that. And when we started with our dispute letters, when we're disputing crap that they do send us in these credit reports that don't contain all the data that they're holding on us, when we do do that, <coughs> excuse me, and we request on the bottom of our letters that they send us a full copy of the file, what do they send us? Oh, another updated credit report. But we always ask for the credit file. Exactly. And therein lies the problem, everybody. Exactly. So, they haven't been in, compli in, in compliance with the law at all, ever, to date. And we've been missing it. 
and we're leaving a hell of a lot of money on the table because we have been missing it. So far, all we've really litigated on in regard to the FCRA is failure to investigate Section S2B and impermissible polls. Well, we haven't litigated on the fact that there's a lot more to the requirement to flag trade lines as disputed, for instance. There's more we needed to know. There's more we need to study. But right now, because of what's happened with Equifax, they are vulnerable to a huge degree. All of this just started to hit Fox News today. And when that happens, the others will have to report on it. It's going to explode. Pretty soon, what is that, 60 minutes, they'll be doing something on it. Um, There is already a, a massive class action lawsuit filed against them. But that doesn't stop. It doesn't matter who brought the class action lawsuit. It doesn't stop millions of individual federal lawsuits against them. So I said to Dave earlier, and I've already adapted the letters uh, for the three CRAs, but especially for Equifax, definitely time to launch a mass request for full file disclosure campaign in writing. Now, I know many of you will not be able to because you've already gotten, uh, well, actually, you know what, Dave, come to think of it, I think I'd push it. If you already got your a credit report from annualcreditreport.com. That doesn't pro, uh, uh, you know, prohibit you from getting what the law says you're entitled to. Right. So I think I would go ahead and do it, even if you just got that last week, because the law doesn't say you have a right to a credit report. It says you have a right to your full disclosure to your entire credit uh, consumer file. So I think all of us, at the very least, we need to do one <coughs> on Equifax, ASAP, and this is the one time that I recommend... Not only do you send it certified mail, you send it receipt requested, return receipt requested. The green card. Well, the green card uh, is a signature requested, but you can also get receipt requested on the regular certified mail. (coughs) My post office always asks me if I want that when I mail it regular certified. (coughs) It's just a notification from the post office directly in writing that they got it, which is good enough, actually. But either way, we need to do that. And um, Dave and Thomas and I, we have been going over uh, the letters and fine-tuning, you know, what they need to say. It specifically states which sections of the FCRA, it is pursuant to, it is written in a way where they cannot possibly state you were not specific enough 
That's you, right. <laughs> you did not state uh, exactly what it was you expected. Now, I don't believe, first of all, they. I, I would say right now their legal beagle team has got their hands full. Wouldn't you, Dave? Uh, that and then some. They probably got their lap full, their hands full, their ears, eyes, nose, throat, and mouth. Exactly. So even if they had the manpower and the legal team to deal with all of us right now, they wouldn't do it. Why? Because what happens on the other end when we send these written letters? They get scanned into an OEM platform software platform into Robbie Robot. And Robbie Robot will send a feature credit report or a letter telling you that you already got it. And bingo. There is your violation. And we push it. Start um, litigating. We start litigating against them. And In mass. Yep. So... That's my feeling. So much more is coming out every day. Um, I am, I have been working. It, it's so funny how all this happened. It just always happens like this. It just drops out of the sky into my lap, some stupid small thing that blows up and becomes a gigantic thing. And it all started out with two simple questions and a couple of emails that caused me to go back and study the FCRA more in depth than I ever have before. Then I make all these discoveries, and then it comes out that this hack happened. And then every day after the hack, and many times during some days, more and more and more leaks out, and I'm already armed because I was already working on the letters, and I already knew all this stuff. So everything happens for a reason, people. So that's what I had to say, Dave. <laughs> you, you can add it, it, add to it if you like. Well, um, it's uh, to put it in a nutshell, we need to absolutely dump on them with litigation, but we have to set things up by yeah. sending the letters. There has to be a foundation. Right. And then what we can do is formulate a example complaint that addresses things properly so that it makes it easier for you guys. Uh, you know, everybody's still got to, you know, make sure their complaint is, is proper for their jurisdiction and, and all that. But, you know, we can uh, draft a, a complaint that will hit the nail on the head as far as the claims made and uh, so on and so forth. Right, so it can that, be adaptable uh, to every federal <clears throat> district court. Right, right. And uh, the the main thing is just start drowning them in litigation. A very simple litigation. And, hey, <laughs> if you if you happen to have, at the same time, one or two other violations to throw in there, like failure to flag because you just did a dispute they didn't follow through on, or uh, an a, uh, IA for failure to investigate a dispute you they didn't follow up on. Now is a great time to dispute with them too, people. Right. Okay. 
understand when you do not get your uh, full file consumer file disclosure back from them, don't waste any time filing a complaint with the CFPB. No, we can we can hit them from multiple directions. You can hit them in the courtroom, and you can hit them through the CFPB. And the CFPB, you know, is, is CFPB is going to have so much stuff going on with them going forward. They're they're just oh. going to be drowning and stuff. How long do you think it's going to take the CFPB to file a massive class action against them? Well, I don't know. The the thing is, if, if we inundate them with complaints. That speeds it up. Oh yeah, yeah. The the more ammunition the CFPB has to work with, the better it is. So you know, we we need to be organized in what we do, do it properly, and uh, understand you know what it is. Because really, when you come right down to it, this is pretty simple. I mean, uh, Terry's got the, these letters the uh, example letters done. Um, it states in there exactly under which part of the statute specifically it's required, you know, requesting such and such pursuant to uh, 1681 section, so on and so forth. They can't get around it. Like Terry said, they can't say, well, you know, you didn't specify. What, oh, no, no, it's going to be very detailed. And when you do it that way, uh, if they come back with the nonsense, it's no, no, it's litigation time. You know, we're not gonna we're not gonna play, you know, ring around the rosy, beat around the bush. You didn't send it when it was requested, you're you know, throwing BS or you know, you sent a, a credit report or oh well you got your credit report. If you want a credit report, you got your free credit report in uh uh January, so you're gonna have to wait till then or, or you have to pay the uh ten dollars or eight dollars, whatever it is. No. No, that's not the way it works, folks. Now, the thing that's going to be interesting to me is to see how fast they start cutting checks when people start suing them. Oh, they start getting out a whole boatload of uh, notice of intent to sue and uh, how quick they start having attorneys telling people, you know, <laughs> we're not going to pay lawyers to defend this. So we'll just cut you a check for $1,000. No. I, there's one other little action that those of you who are adventurous <coughs> might want to pursue, <clears throat> especially if you have a banker or an insurance person or a realtor in your family. When you get back this worthless credit report that you're going to get, go get them to run pull a credit report on you for an insurance policy with a face value above 150000 or a loan for above 150000 whatever that may be. And then when that credit report comes back, the law says, even if, it's, if you really are applying for a mortgage or a, a high face value in insurance policy. Contrary to what auto dealers will tell you and mortgage lenders will tell you and bankers will tell you, they have to let you see that credit report. And if you want a copy of it, 
They have to give it to you. So then there you go, marching into court with proof that not only did they not give you full disclosure of your credit file, they are sharing undisclosed data with lenders for the purpose of denying you credit and see how much money they're willing to pay you then. Things are going to get very interesting. But we need to do this on a, as much of a mass scale as we can, which means that you guys out there have to help spread the word to other people about this. And if nothing else, get them on these calls so that we can educate them so they can understand what's going on and what they can do about it. Oh, I forgot, and this is really, really important. Do not enroll in their bogus service. Oh, my God, no. Do not do that. Don't don't go to that website and, and, and enroll in that deal so you can find out if you're one of the people affected because then you're locking yourself out of litigation. Exactly, because even though they say on that website on the front page, oh, no, no, uh, we're not. We have no intention of trying to bar you from uh, litigation or force you into arbitration. It is in the fine print of the enrollment. Yep. yep. And that's already been shown. And once you agree to that by electronic signature, just just to enroll in the free stuff, you're done. Yeah. Your goose is cooked. Don't do it. They because be the information the information that you get back, we did some reading on, on some people that actually, somebody that actually did go and do that, and the information they got back that supposedly to let them know whether they were affected or not was sketchy at best. So you, it, it's a trap. It's getting you to opt out of litigation is what right. it's doing. And it's not, they're not going to give you any, any information that is bona fide uh, accurate. And you're going to see all kinds of hype about it and how Equifax is stepping up to the plate and doing everything they can to help people uh, protect themselves and figure out if they might be affected by this hack, blah, blah, blah. What they're hoping is Enough of the uh, 143 million people, and a whole lot more, are going to sign up and hit that enroll button and fill it out, that their exposure for litigation over this is going to be minimal. Right. They, they get all of you to screw yourselves, willingly. Don't buy into it. Absolutely do not do that. These these guys are as crooked as a dog's leg. You know, we've known that they're bad apples for an awful long time. Well, this is just one more rotten apple that was found in the bushel basket. Oh, yeah. And, it, you know, it just irks me to no end that by keeping all their stuff in country, they've managed to look like the fair-haired child 
in the industry to the government and Congress and the CFPB, unlike TransUnion and Experian, who play fast and loose on a global scale with your personal private information, including, by the way, your driver's licenses and Social Security cards. Because every time you send that dispute, where in the hell do you think it's going? Pakistan, Guatemala, I forget where the other one was. Um, <laughs> you know, so so they've managed to make themselves look like the good boys and girls. And all the while, this is worse so far than anything TransUnion or Experian have pulled on all of us. Yeah, you got to remember that they gathered all of this uh, information without your consent. And then you, when you found out that they had all this information, in other words, when you found out that they have a file on you and you want to see what's in there, then you willingly give them more to supplement what what they got from other sources. But you never gave them consent to gather all this information. I surely didn't. No, and on top of that, Dave, there's another part that just makes my blood boil. Yeah, they get you to enroll and sign up for a free product you don't want is no good because a lot of those people were signed up for it, turns out. But, oh, and then I did forget a little detail. They recently purchased a company that designs and already had the platform for this new data protection service they're offering at $30 a month, okay? So they get you to enroll in it. They give you the first year. Then when that's up and they tell you the rest of the story, as Mr. Paul Harvey used to say, is that, oh, you could be at risk for, you know, the next 10, 15 years. It's really in your best interest to stay with the program. You're being forced to pay $30 a month. To for something they did. Uh, no, <laughs> yeah, for something they did. But to supposedly protect your privacy and personal financial health and well-being, which is, by the way, a constitutionally protected right under the Fourth Amendment to begin with. They don't have the right to have it, let alone make you pay to keep it safe. And if that's not blackmail, David, what is? Exactly. Exactly right. And that's why uh, there needs to be a a major storm that descends upon them. Yeah, and considering the size of our membership (laughs) across the country, including all three nights, Dave and all of you that have been following him all these years, everybody on my email list who comes to my Wednesday on Thursday night call every week, and everybody following Jesse, and his website all these years. Our databases, you know, are well, our, we don't keep databases. I yeah. keep a, an, a, a... Just the number of people involved is substantial. Of people, right. Yeah. And it's not necessarily 
there's a lot of people who were following Dave for a really long time who are not necessarily on my calls or on my email list. And even more who have followed Jesse over the years who, again, are not necessarily on my email list or on my calls. So it's not like, well, if you're included on Thursday, then you're included in everybody's followers, you know, members. Yeah, well, so, and and, and we the have. thing is, yeah, the the thing is, everybody, we have to multiply ourselves. In other words, this is one of these times, you're one of the people that uh, you're hearing this, you're learning about it, but you know a lot of other people that aren't on these calls, that they are affected by this, and their lives could be made a living hell as a result of it. Please multiply yourself by telling a lot of people about this. Because you're on this call, because if you're on the Tuesday night call or the Thursday night call, if you're part of this national group of people, we are uniquely positioned and qualified to lead the charge because we understand what to do about all this and how to do it, and we're here to help each other to do it. So it behooves us, and it is our responsibility, I see it, to do exactly what Dave just said. We have to spread that information. We have to share it. We have to stop them from succeeding at this. We all have to become Paul Revere. Exactly. So... Like I said, everybody listening to my voice right now on Dave's call, whether it be in the moment at 10 minutes to 10 or on the archived call tomorrow or later or whatever, if you're not on my email list, you need to get on my email list because Dave doesn't keep one and I am going to do another mass email, <laughs> and boy, have I been fired up this week, right? Oh, I'm yeah. Gonna, I'm going to mass email out those three shell letters, one for each credit reporting agency. The only thing you need to put in and change in those letters is highlighted in yellow. That's your name and address at the top with your social and, and date of birth, your signature at the bottom, and the certified mail number. Once you insert that to personalize it to you, unhighlight it, print it out, sign it in blue ink, copy it so that you have a copy, make a copy of your driver's license and social security card, Attach that to the letter and mail it, certified mail, return uh, receipt, requested. It can't be any easier. Everything's been done. You don't need to reword the letter. You shouldn't reword it. Yeah, this one, in this case, you know, uh, if you've been with us for any length of time, you know 
that we generally do not do have any kind of templates that we provide. We have examples. In this case, this is a template. It should be left exactly as is other than the information uh, for yourself and your social, so on and so forth, that Terry just described. So this is one of those exceptions to that rule that we don't use templates. Right. And now it will only take me a minute, but uh, before I I say that's what I, all I have to say on the subject, I mentioned earlier, <laughs> <laughs> it seems important to me, Dave. I'm, I mentioned earlier that we have to stop using the word credit in all instances. Get it out of your head. Yeah, consumer I, file. Um, not just that. The word uh, I don't in in other areas as well. Stop using the word credit. Period. Okay. You can't say alleged. You can say alleged credit if you want in in certain circumstances. But here's the thing, and it kept me up all night one night while I was studying all this. Credit is synonymous with debt. It's just a six-letter word for debt. So the minute you ask for a credit file or you talk about a credit account or a credit trade line or anything else in which you use the word credit, you are admitting debt. The if, assumption is there there is a debt. There is a debt, and they have trapped you into admission. Forget that word. No more using the word credit. Anytime you are referring to an alleged account that they say involved credit or is involved a debt, well, okay, that's what they say. You call it alleged account, alleged debt. Do not fall into their trap. We have to stop using the words they want us to use and why it's so important. And God bless him. Jeff was a real stickler, a stickler just like me. And, and we've lectured and lectured on it over the years, me and Jeff. Him stronger than me because of his style. But we have said it over and over a thousand or more times. Words mean everything. And when they trap you into using the words of their design, there is always a reason for it. And when I study the FCRA as close as I have for the last five years and even closer over the last two weeks, I discover the FCRA doesn't use that word. It's always a consumer report, That's consumer file. Consumer file, not a report. And even the 11th Circuit has made it very clear, and I believe it was the Collins case, that a file and a report are two different things. And as a matter of fact, in the SCRA, in the, defi in the definitions, it specifically lays out exactly what a file is as opposed to a report. And then goes on to say that you're entitled to the whole damn thing. So please, 
Let's stop using that word. And I'm going to start correct, correcting people. I'm going to I'm going to be a Dave. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. it's it's all for everybody's benefit. It's we we just got to work to change what we do. You know, it, what what is the main tool of the attorneys? Words and deception. Using those words. Yeah, that's right. And the very words themselves. <laughs> the word credit is a deception designed to trap you into admission. Yep. All right. Well, thank you very much. That uh, uh, some absolutely critical information at this point in time. Like I said, we all need to become Paul Revere on this. Everybody, you know. <clears throat> sure, we know it, and maybe you know, husband wife knows it, and you know, a, a friend or two. We need to expand those numbers of people that we get this information to. And if you don't understand all of it entirely, if nothing else, just point people to these calls. Let's see the number of participants on these calls skyrocket so people are learning what they can do and how to do it because it takes a lot of us to make a difference. The bigger the numbers the more strength we have. So please, do your part. Become Paul Revere and uh, encourage other people to do the same. Please. Oh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold <laughs> off until tomorrow afternoon to send out the mass email um, like I used to send them out on Tuesdays for call reminders. But tomorrow afternoon, I'm going to send out the mass email with the three letters attached so I'll hold off until tomorrow afternoon to give those of you who are not on my list a chance to get on it before I send out that mass email. Because once I do a mass email in one day, um, I can't send a bunch of individual ones out either after that. They'll lock down my email account for 24 hours. So you need to get on that list and just send me an email at queensongbird at gmail.com do not use the queensongbird2 email address because I don't um, go in there and I don't check emails in there Um, make sure that it's queensongbird at gmail.com mine is already made out addressed with a certified mail receipt attached to it and I'm going to the post office tomorrow as soon as this storm lifts there you go, everybody. Okay. Well, we are going to go to Q&A. We have uh, one person with their hand up. If anybody has got uh, comments or questions for us tonight, hit star 8. That will put you uh, in the queue, and we'll uh, take the questions in the uh, order that they're popping up on the board, which they are popping up. So let's go to the north shore of Massachusetts. Good evening. You're unmuted. Go ahead. Thank you. Um, <laughs> How are you tonight, Elaire? Good, good. How are you, Dave? Um, have- still, still at it. Still at it. Still at it? You're feeling better every day. I'll tell you what. My quality of life has taken a very big jump for the better. My, I, 
I feel like my age is going backwards. I really do. I really, truly do. Since I started taking the sulfur, and the longer it goes, the more noticeable different things are and everything. But yes, I'm oh, yeah, extremely pleased. Yeah. I now know <laughs> what you mean by don't take it late. <laughs> Yeah, and depending on on how much time we've got, if we have any time tonight, uh, we have a few hands up uh, uh, here. Uh, Whoever's making the noise, please uh, cut that off. Um, I want to just see, uh, get comments. I don't want to get into it now because I want to keep on our subject matter because we got to make sure we can answer all the questions. But uh, if we've got time toward the end of the call, I want to see anybody that's started taking the sulfur, if anybody has any comments about, you know, things they've noticed or whatever, I do want to keep up on this because uh, that is something that really is extraordinary. So anyway, Alir, what's your question for tonight? Alir? We're not hearing you. Where did you go? Was that his music you muted? Uh, I didn't mute anybody. Oh. Um, he uh, He's still up on the board. It's just that we're not hearing him. Alira, maybe you hit your own mute button by accident. <laughs> I don't know. He's uh, he's still on. Alira. Yeah. Oh, there you are. Oh, I was lost? Yeah, yeah, we haven't been. You couldn't hear what we were saying. You okay? Wow. That's funny. I didn't even move. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Maybe you don't have to move to make your phone go mute, but it did. <laughs> anyway, we the couldn't hear you. Was, yeah. Uh, the question is like this: uh, on the production, the other side uh, brought. A big, a big pile of terms and conditions for like a, a ten pages of terms and conditions, but they were never filed in the original complaint. Is it any remedy on this? Well, well I'm, I'm not understanding what your question is. You're, you say they, they gave you like ten it's piles, a, a credit, of ter- ten pages of yeah, terms a, and conditions. Yeah, it's what, a credit What are you in reference to? Give me, give me a, yeah, give me a reference a quick, point here in what you're yeah, saying. It's a credit card issue. Bank of America sued yeah. my wife. Now we're yeah. in the stage of discovery and uh, yeah. depositions. Uh, I'm doing only. He's not. The other side is not doing any discovery, any depositions. Yeah. But on okay. the discovery, now they added a, uh, like 10, 12 pages of terms and conditions that were never filed with the original complaint. Uh, is uh, any remedy on this? Any Thing that I can no, use. no. That's that's what discovery is for. They don't they don't necessarily have to put terms and conditions with a complaint. That's not a that's not part of the contract. Okay. Uh, second question: When I disputed the uh, for uh, because I disputed this uh, you know debt collection from the beginning from the first letter was time that I knew what I was doing. Uh, on the second when I First disputed, they sent like the uh, 
validation of that. They send a couple of statements in uh, something else uh, I don't even remember. But now they have way more uh, statements. Um, now, is it this big difference? Is there anything that I can use in court? Well, okay. Now, here's the thing. They sent you a bunch more statements. Have you gone through and looked at all of the statements very carefully? Have you looked at the dates? Do they uh, go back to the very beginning of the inception of the account where it starts with a zero balance and then maybe the first the first one shows $118.04 and, and it goes up from there? No, it doesn't start from the beginning. Well, then they didn't validate the debt. I mean, if, if the oldest statement they sent had a balance, any balance at all, doesn't matter whether it's 16 cents or $1,600, well, where did that come from? Exactly. How can it be a true accounting if it doesn't start at zero? Yeah. Okay. So that's uh, uh, the other question is uh, uh, the attorney, which is Schley and Stillman LLC for Bank of America, uh, uh, did not claim, you know, legal fees on the on the original complaint. How do I use this in my favor? Well, you you ask, uh, you know, are you uh, is uh, Schley and Stillman a party in interest in the above the above captioned? Manner, matter. If he says yes, then he did not disclose. Then, then the they're going to have a problem. If they say no, though, what do I say? Well, you don't have to say anything. It's a matter of when when you get down to a resolution, how you deal with it. You don't say anything at this point in time. You're, what you're doing is you're gathering information and discovery, and then you're either going to use that at trial or summary judgment. Okay. If, you're, if it comes down to summary judgment, then you, you take what information you have to uh, argue, like if they put in a motion for summary judgment, they uh, uh, you're going to use that information to show that uh, there is an issue of material fact before the court and the uh, summary judgment is not appropriate. It needs to go to uh, the jury. Good. Next question. I'm, uh, I have written my question, so I, uh, I'm going through these, and tomorrow when I re-listen it, I'm going to take uh, detailed notes. Okay. Uh, Good the idea. other question Good is... Uh, the... Uh, the rules of uh, of uh, procedure in in uh, you know the rules of uh, civil procedure in Massachusetts are almost identical with the federal ones. Uh, the deposition, the audiovisual ones, they added a rule 30A, and uh, they say in the beginning, uh, uh, you know 30A A, the small A, by leave of court upon motion with notice and an opportunity to be heard in opposition and continues like this. It, does this mean that I have to notify the court, file a motion that I'm well, making of audio depositions? Okay. 
leave of court means with permission of the court. So you would have to request uh, to be able to uh, do that deposition. You have to uh, move the court. Do I have to wait for the court to approve yes. the motion? Yes. It's the court has to leave. Leave of the court is getting permission. It's not just notifying the court that you're going to do it. It's getting permission. So you have to move the court, ask the court, uh, you know, I want to do this. Uh, uh, will will the court allow me to do this? And uh, the court has to come back and say, yes, you may. If the court says, no, you may not, then you have to possibly argue that and, and uh, find out what the grounds are that the court is using to deny you being able to do that. Cross that bridge when you come to it. But leave leave of the court is permission. That's what it means is you're getting permission of the court. Now, I, it looks like I have to uh, set an, uh, uh, a hearing for that, or the court can grant it without a hearing. Mm, yeah, you got to look at your rules and make sure you follow those. Mm-hmm. Oh, it doesn't really say that. Uh, it says leave of court, but it doesn't say uh, any other detail. Well, I'm going to ask the, the court tomorrow when I file it. Yeah, you you very possibly just uh, you know move the court to. Uh, uh, yeah, that's what uh, leave of court means. That you have to ask the court's permission. Mm-hmm. Now, on that uh, permission, do I say the date and time and place where I'm going to do the um, deposition or, or audiovisual depositions or not? Uh, is there anything in your rules that says that you must state that? No. But no, on the other well. hand, Dave, if he already knows that, why not? Well, I was going to say, if you already know that kind of stuff, you could put it in there. But otherwise, uh, you state, uh, you know, you request uh, uh, leave of the court to uh, uh, do a uh, deposition on Joe Schmo uh, at a uh, time and place to be determined. Right, because the court isn't going to come back and say, uh, well, what time and where are you planning on doing it? No, the court's going to come back and either say denied, you've had enough time, or the court is going to say uh, the court grants, Usually it's like 30 to 45 days for yeah. plaintiff to conduct uh, a deposition of blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so that that is clear, that question. I got that. Okay. Um, can, uh, one of the issues that I want to ask the uh, the corporate representative, let's say that he's going to find one, which uh, I don't think so, but can I ask uh, the... Uh, corporate representative to prove damages? What do you mean? Let's say that Bank of America is damaged $7,000 from my credit card. Um, well, oh, okay. I, I, I think I understand. You know, you can you can ask any question you want, but uh, you, you don't just say, well, you know, uh, can you prove the damages? You have to be very specific when you do a deposition. What specific evidence do you have that shows that Bank of America uh, was harmed? Okay. So that's... You know... Can, uh, what spe- you know, what specific 
evidence do you have that Bank of America loaned Mary Jane money? Uh, one more question, Dave. Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to have a pre-trial hearing on the 14th of November. Okay. Uh, I'm planning to bring uh, with me, or with my wife, really, uh, a uh, court reporter. Um, is that normal, or they will say this is just a hearing and blah, blah, blah? Um, you it. it when you're dealing with your state courts, some of them have rules that prohibit court, outside court reporters. Um, a lot of them don't, but there's some that do. What I would uh, do is check with the clerk and uh, ask if there is any prohibition on you bringing a uh, court reporter to a hearing. I will do that. Uh, here again, um, on those kind of things, you, you want to get specific uh, answers on that uh, because, you know, we've seen certain jurisdictions where, where they won't allow a uh, an outside court reporter there and say, well, you know, there's a, uh, a, a court reporter for the, the court and you can get a transcript of that. But I don't like that because I actually have seen myself personally – I have seen in a credit card case where the testimony was changed to screw the uh, by by the court sanctioned <laughs> court reporter that was paid well by the, well well by the court reporter that works for the court exactly yeah it was actually I absolutely I, I think that comes under the heading of kangaroo court doesn't it, Dave uh, yeah. well not to mention. Uh, Fraud by the courts. Um, Why would you nice? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, it's not right, obviously. Um, but uh, I've actually, I have actually seen, I, I have seen the copy of the transcript where the stuff was changed from uh, what actually happened. Because I, yeah, I yeah. knew the individual. I knew exactly what the individual said because I coached the individual and stuff, and what turned up, you know, after he got the adverse ruling, he got a copy of the transcript and certain things that the uh, uh, that were in the record were absolutely 100% completely different from what was said in the courtroom. In lieu of this, is it possible that I can get the audio, the real audio? No, no, the- no, no. This is years ago. This, this wouldn't do you any good. It's just that... Uh, then you're fighting a real behemoth. We're just saying it. Yeah. It, it does happen. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm saying I, I personally have have seen it myself. It's not something I heard about or read about. A, fr- a friend of mine had it happen to him, and yeah. it was uh, it was in Ohio, and uh, it was a very, very, very well known corrupt court, uh, one of the common pleas courts. I'm pretty positive if I uh, require a, a transcript of uh, the last hearing that I had, they will change it. There were a few things that were not nice from from their side, but um, I probably will. Do you think they get upset when you ask for transcripts? Who gives a shit? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How's that for just a straightforward answer? You know, I don't normally talk like you know, he who cares? Right out of who mouth. cares whether somebody gets mad? 
You know, oh. it's my right to justice by God, you know? Yeah, yeah. it's my right to hold your feet to the fire to give it to me. Yeah. So that was answered too. <laughs> yeah. I guess I was a little emphatic there, but that's like, no, you're going to, I could care less whether no, you get this, up with me. In this particular case, he's been hanging out with Terry too much. But. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, this is last question. You know that I deserve to be criticized last week when you told me that uh, my wife really has to respond to everything. Yeah. She's really, uh, she's been learning a lot from me. Good. And from good. what I do, but I was Very good. thinking, yeah, I was thinking for a small thing if I can use it. If we sign a power of attorney, no, between her, no, that won't work. That will not this, work. No, a power court of attorney uh, does, does the court will not recognize that. It has to be an attorney for someone else to represent a party. On, in, in very very uh, unique situations. Like, um, well, for me, for instance, uh, when my father-in-law was dying in a nursing home and I was the power of attorney, I was able to handle things to include court stuff he had going on. But that was, you know, an over-the-top unique situation. Yeah, he he was not physically able to, to do yeah. it. Yeah, but here's here's a question though. I can't afford a lawyer. That they, they don't do care about it? that. They don't care. They don't care. They don't okay. care. Huh? No. Wow. And you're not okay. entitled to one under civil law. I am entitled under civil law. No, you're not. I, no. Uh, people make this mistake Criminal, all the yes. time. They think that if you can't afford a lawyer, the court's got to appoint you one. Um, to defend yourself, uh, yeah, that's true in a criminal case, but not in a civil case. Yeah, and, and something you want to understand about that, as long as you brought that up, Terry, I, I want to just mention this so people have a little bit of an understanding on this. What Terry's talking about is the court-appointed attorney is better known as a public defender. Yep. Yeah. This course is in criminal. Please understand, listen to those words, public defender. He, is, he or she is there to defend the public, not you. Exactly. They defend the public from you. That's exactly right. That's Remember what why we when a public defender, yeah, when a public defender comes in to defend a criminal, have you ever noticed that they never win? <laughs> yeah. There's when a reason they, for that, yeah, and you well, just we, have to understand the use of the words. Exactly, and, the and that's another one of those that they very cleverly deceived us into accepting. Right. So, anyway, we don't want to belabor that. but uh, I, Thank you. I'm done, Dave. Okay. Today. Well, thank you very much. Keep keep your uh, wife going and studying. That's a great thing. There's no yeah. such thing as too much knowledge. She's always to me. All Very right, good. thank you. You know, All right. Dave, if if there's time, there there's another little message from Dr. Graves, real short, that I'd like to share with everybody. Yeah. 
Well, we've got four more people in the queue here. We've got to keep going. I don't know how long it's going to take on these, but we're going to keep going here. We're going to go to northeast Illinois, Chicago area. Hey, uh, Dave, thanks a lot. won't take long. Uh, All right. First, thank, thanks for the tip on the uh, on the sofa. And you're right, Carrie, uh, 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 can't take it at night before you go to bed. That's <laughs> no. And, you know, not right away, but after you've taken it for about a week and all of a sudden you're up all night and you can't figure oh, out why you cannot sleep. <laughs> Secondly, I just listened to your uh, recording and uh, when your husband uh, took my call, so no apology is needed. And the last thing, uh, Terry, ingenious, absolutely ingenious on this uh, FCRA uh, research you've uh done for us and uh, many other groups. So uh, may the universal God Father continue to bless you and your family. Well, for, thank uh, you. And I'm so sorry I missed your it. call that day. That's all right. You don't have to apologize. Please don't, because I don't want everybody knowing that I can talk to you. Anyway. <laughs> I think they do now. <laughs> yeah, because you told it. You let it out the bag. Okay, I'm done. I'm not going to take up. you got some more people that want to talk. I just wanted to make sure you, you heard me on that one. Thanks, uh, Dave. Appreciate it. All righty. Thank you, Sam. All right. We're going to go to Demond, and I got to mute you and unmute you, which I just did. Go ahead. Demond, come and talk to us. Hello? Hello. Good evening, guys. Uh, Well, are you Demond? I'm not Demond. No, I'm waiting for Demond. Oh, Demond sorry. was next in the, uh, the queue, but if Demond doesn't talk I'm here, to me, I'm here. I'm here. Here we go. There, here we go. there you go. I'm a phone muted. <laughs> hey. He's a good boy. Yeah, well, he's following instructions. He's just a little slow on the uptake when he's. <laughs> See. I muted him and unmuted him, but he had himself muted a different way. So well, anyway, somebody yeah. always has to remind us of Jeff, and he. Just I was did. just going to say he must have been uh, thinking about Jeff, God which man. we do often. Yeah. So look, my question is: when you get a violation of the Telephone Consumer Protection Act, is that also a Fair Debt Collection Practices <laughs> Act or? Um, like the state of North Carolina has the the the, the state version of the fair debt collection. No, right? no, oh, because it it, it it the Telephone Consumer Protection Act is just about the invasion of privacy. But that's not to say that the content of the call, yeah. depending on who's calling, well, might well, that's, create that's a violation. That's absolutely right, and you know, you, I was going to say that it depends on what happens. with the call, but is a TCPA violation automatically a violation of the FDCPA? Absolutely not. No. Okay, but if if the automated, if the ATD says this is an attempt to collect the debt? No, here again. Oh, okay. it, 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 It depends on the actions. You know, you have certain things that have to occur for there to be a violation of the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act. Then, you know, for a violation of the TCPA, Telephone Consumer Protection Act, 
the certain things that have to occur are completely different. They're two completely right. it only has to different do with, statutes. It only yeah. has to do with the dialing of the call. It has nothing to do with the content of the call. Oh, okay. Right. Okay, okay. Clear, clear. Crystal. Awesome. Hey, Terry, I just sent my um sent you an email to get on your list, your list please. And you're already on there. Awesome. Thank you. Hey, how's that for service? I don't mess around when I get those emails. I don't <laughs> ignore them. Quick, fast, in a hurry. That's great. Well, okay, that's I'm to done. protect myself because, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm getting old. I might forget. <laughs> All righty. Well, thank you, Demond. Thank you. Y'all have a good night. All right. You bet. You too. All right. Now I'm going to go to guest eight, which was the young lady. I have to mute you and unmute you to get you out of the queue. Go ahead. Good evening, guys. You guys are awesome. Terry, kudos. My hat is off to you. Girl, you go. <laughs> well, you guys all got to go with me. She's oh, a yeah. bulldog, isn't she? Yeah, she most certainly is. I am so impressed. Like, I, I've been I've been texting and, and tweeting people like the entire call. So thank you so Good. much. I, Good. I appreciate well, thank you so for, for being Paul Revere. Oh, yeah, no problem. Um, uh what one of by land, two of by sea. Like so, let's go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I have a couple questions with the um the TCP TCPA case that I'm working on. Um, unfortunately, I missed uh, your Wednesday webinar, but I'm gonna go um on the website and check it out, Dave. So, okay. Um, I'm on top of that, but um, I have a couple questions. Um, I want to know. I want to obtain information regarding um, the telephone, re regarding the vendor that the um, the company used. Um, what, what terminology or what wording should I utilize to obtain that information from them? Well, when you uh, ask for uh, the information, you'd ask for that information in interrogatory. You want the things like the. Uh, name of the manufacturer, the model and serial number, and the date of acquisition. Model. Data back. Mm -hmm. And okay. Uh, my next question is, um, okay, um, I sued one of the um, um, one of the attorneys. Um, he's acting as um, uh, the COO, and um, uh, what I wanted to obtain from him, I believe that he was uh, employed with a company in 2014, but it's uh, uh, their con contention that he was not. Is there any way that I could pull his uh, tax record on my own? No. No, you can't get tax records. That isn't public information? No. Uh -uh. Okay, no problem. And so I just request that. Do I request that in, in interrogatory or? <clears throat> well, <clears throat> you can you can do an interrogatory and ask, was Joe Blow uh, an employee of ABC company uh, from any time during the period, you know, February 1st to, you know, April 16th or, you know, whatever. You can't get tax records, but one thing you can request if it is a publicly traded company, a large publicly traded company, you can demand a copy of their 10K SEC filing. 
Yeah, but that that's not necessarily going to give you any information about a uh, uh, you know, certain employees. Um, is it possible for me to obtain a, a, or request a copy of his uh, employment contract? No. Probably not. No. No, no you're not going to be able to get that. Okay. So devoid of um, merely asking in, a, in an interrogatory and requesting the 10K SEC filing, those are kind of my only options to prove employment. I <clears throat> I don't think uh, I don't think the uh, the 10K is going to be a viable thing if you're dealing with a TCPA. Why are you going after the specific individual in a TCPA case? Um, because I um, it's my contention that it's their um, the policy. Or of the company, um, this is just a, 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 a normal way of doing business for them, and um, that's one of the. Uh, that's just you know something that they do. They uh, just you know harass uh, clients. Okay. Harass. All right. Well, I think you may be getting a little off track. Am I? You you're you're saying you sued this individual? Yeah, I included him in my uh, TCPA lawsuit. Okay. Him and you... the founder of the company. Okay, you don't want to do that. No? No, because he didn't place the phone calls. Okay. Okay. He might have relevant information about it where he could be deposed, but as a defendant, no, it's the company, you know, like if it's a collection company or whatever, it's the company that placed the phone calls. Okay. I was just you to... never go after the individual unless it is a individual that is placing calls using an auto dialer uh, rather than a company. And the chances of you running into that are probably real close to zero. Okay. Okay. Um, so, so do I just drop him from the case? Do I drop the other two um, uh, just individuals, the founder of the company also? Yeah, I uh you got to be careful on this stuff when when you're dealing with TCPA, you have to stop and think who how did the how did the violation occur? The violation occurred when a phone call was placed. Mm-hmm. Right? Mhm. Yeah. Okay. But those people don't sit there and place phone calls. Right. If it was an auto dialer, the company placed the phone call, not a person. Okay. So you you don't go after an individual. It's extraordinarily rare that you would have a viable case to go after an individual uh under TCPA. I'm not going to say it hasn't happened, but it has. But generally, you're going to find that that's going to be something where there's a class action, and uh, there is a you know a whole lot of phone calls involved, and there is one individual that directed all the operations where they placed you know they called uh, 3.75 million different numbers. Uh, a small case, uh, individual case like yours, no, you're not going to deal with individuals. By name. Okay. So how do I go about dropping them then? You, what you want to do is uh, you can uh, talk to them and tell them uh, after you know further uh, gathering of information that uh, 
you've determined that you're going to uh, drop them from the lawsuit as defendants, uh, and you will uh, write up a uh, stipulated dismissal of claims against those individuals and ask them if, if they will agree to, the, agree to that stipulation, and, and why wouldn't they? <laughs> right? That's right. Okay, stipulated dismissal of claims? Of uh, claims against individual A, B, and C or whatever. Yep. Yeah, so that your only, uh, uh, your only defendant would be the company. Okay. All righty, um, that's all I have. Thank you guys so much. And again, Terry, you rock. You're awesome. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Well, thank you, dear. All right. Well, let's go to Who Knows Truth. You have been unmuted. Go ahead. Hi. Uh, this is um, the Michigan person, and I do have some questions, and I'm going to ask one of them first so that I don't forget to ask. Um, I have a, uh, a federal claim against a debt collector, and um, I uh, the last defendant, there's three defendants, and the last defendant was served uh, uh, last Wednesday. Okay. Yeah, last Wednesday. And the service processor sent me a notification email saying that they were going to uh, email me a copy for e-filing prior to mailing the originals. I'm a little confused. Are they going to I mean, they didn't send it, but are they going to send that paperwork to the court, or, or is that something that I have to do? You have to ask them exactly what they're talking about. Okay. I, I can't answer that for you. If well, you have a question the, about what they're going to do, you have to talk to them. Okay. Uh, I didn't, what is the usual procedure, though, when, when people use service processors for federal claims? Usually, usually when, when I have that, and uh, I they send me the... Uh, uh, affidavit of service back to me, and then I can take it to the court. Oh, okay. Uh, now, uh, maybe in some jurisdictions they do it a little differently. They they send it straight in. That's why I say you need to talk to them and find out exactly. You just tell them that you're a little confused as to exactly what their process is. You know, uh, just say you know how is it that you're going to handle that? Are you sending me the affidavit of service for me to file with the court? Or do you send it directly to the court? It's a very simple question. Okay. Well, I didn't notice it until today. Of course, I was busy today. I worked, plus I had a hearing. Mm-hmm. And now we'll get to the hearing. I had a hearing for two motions that I made. One motion was in opposition to a, uh, mo- uh, a scheduling... For a summary judgment. Hearing mm-hmm. for a, uh, motion for summary, summary disposition. disposition, yeah. And the other one was a motion for extension of time to ask, uh, I mean, to, to respond to the other motion. To a summary uh, Both motions were denied today. So, really? Yes, yes. And what um, was the basis? Because it didn't cause any harm. Um, according to the Michigan court rules, uh, or, you know, civil rules of procedure. Well, now, I can uh, see it didn't cause any harm. I can understand that with your first motion where they filed it before they filed the summary judgment. Didn't cause any harm. Okay. But right. your extension of time to answer, yes, that that will prejudice you 
uh, as a pro se litigant by the the court not allowing you sufficient time to uh, uh, do your opposition to their motion for summary judgment. That absolutely is prejudicial to you. All right. Well, I objected verbally, uh, uh, and she said it was noted. I did not get a um, a copy of the court report. I don't know if I still can. Do I need? Uh, what do you mean the court I, report? I okay. And do you I? Mean the, I make you, you mean you didn't have a court reporter there? Is that what you're talking? You know, relating to there? I did not have my own. They had their court reporter. I had two witnesses. Okay. Well, you got your witnesses. That's fine. Okay. Do I need to make a paper objection to that? No. No. You. You. Uh, you, you want to have your witnesses write down precisely what happened so that they can write an affidavit. And they want to, you want to do that now and get the, uh, get the affidavits written, you know, that they were in court observing the proceedings for case number so-and-so, and, you know, your, re, your request for an enlargement of time uh, to... Uh, up, uh, oppose motion for summary judgment uh, uh, disposition was denied saying there was uh, where the court stated there was no harm. You okay. want to get that affidavit, you want them to be able to put that and don't have both of those affidavits verbatim the same thing. Have them, you know, write the the stuff up Put it in affidavit form and get those things notarized okay. soon. And the reason right. for that is, uh, come appeal, then you can say, "Well, I had two people there. I I was prejudiced. I had two people in court that heard the judge say this. Uh, here's the affidavits, the sworn affidavits to to that effect. I uh, I was prejudiced." As a pro se litigant, uh, I have responsibilities, a number of responsibilities, and a job. I need more time to do research to, uh, in order to uh, properly respond to the motion for summary disposition. Okay. I mean, um, that's the way you're gonna, you know, make your argument uh, on appeal if you if you go there. Okay. Uh, so the, I'm, what I'm objecting to is she didn't. What the, the affidavit is in regard to her denying me the time, not and not the motion. Exactly, it's it's what the court did. It's it's just a statement of fact. Remember, an affidavit is just a, a a simple statement of fact made by a person with firsthand knowledge. So each one of those affidavits is basically going to say the same thing, but you don't want them to be verbatim. Just you know, make them and, and copy them and put somebody else's name on them. Don't do that. They need to be a little bit different, kind of in in people's own words. They can be very similar, but just don't have them exactly the same. Okay, I'll do that. Uh, now I did. The lawyer was there, and I didn't pick up on this until afterwards. Um, notice was sent out for this hearing, and it was sent to one of the lawyers, but he didn't show up. The owner, the uh, owner of the um, attorney firm, showed up. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that acceptable in court? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
whatever well, happened to the the stuff you had going last week where you know he said well they'd like to settle things uh so they didn't have to show up in court he never answered my email oh he never you did send the email that that evening i assume that we talked about it yes and then I he sent never it yeah um yeah yes um and i would have sent it that evening but i find that unless i if i send things too quickly i'm usually sorry um so I waited until I got my thoughts together and it was the next day. Um, and so he was there today, and before we went into court, he made an offer. And um, he was, it was less than half. He wanted to uh, take less than half and, he, and payments for, you know, a couple of years. I'm not paying you any money at all. <laughs> What's that? I said, I'm not paying you any money at all. What do you mean? You're right. crazy. I told him that I wanted to go through with my motion hearing and uh, go through discovery now he was very anxious to to have our cases dismissed and when we uh got into court and he did the speaking he, he was he was almost like he was tattling on me to the judge about the federal case you know it was almost like a, a oh he, he no what he was doing is he was whining yeah exactly whining and you know what dave that little that little tidbit i wanted to share from Dr. Graves is yeah. exactly what she's doing right now. Yeah, well, go ahead with your stuff. Let's let's keep going with what you got go to talk ahead. about here because we still got two more people in the queue. We got to keep moving. Okay. Um. So uh, I think I've lost my. Um... He okay, so he he kind of wanted to settle a case. He made you an offer, and you said no. I want to move forward with uh, the things. Today. Right, and we were in court, and uh, he was telling the judge how I had two—I had made a federal claim against two of his attorneys. So he wants this case moved along, and and she was even though she she wasn't being she she wasn't going to give me any slack. She didn't look like she was dishonest, or it just she wasn't going to give me any slack. And she said she was going to hold me to the rules, just like him. And yeah, uh, what what he's trying to do is hurry it up. Right. And slam dunk you. Right. So exactly that's he's that. And he's complaining because um, you're not yeah. cooperating with that idea. Right. Right. Yeah. So okay. it was. Go I ahead. think it was like a, 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 a sort of like a signal to her. We got to move this along because we have a federal. Like, I've got a federal yeah. case. Yeah. The answer. So yeah. Well, the federal claim's already filed, so it doesn't matter. You know, if he uh, he can get his butt in a pinch uh, in the federal claim for. Uh, he, the amount of the judgment, you know, if you wrote the complaint properly. But anyway, go ahead. Okay. Well, I was concerned that uh, when I got that note from the service processor that it, it, it hasn't gone process through. Server. Magistrate, Pro- magistrate, process I'm server. Process server. My process server, right. Um, okay. So I, it, it hasn't been, I don't know if it's an official case yet. I do have a magistrate. Well, you know, it, if you file that it, it's official, it's just a matter of when it's served. You okay. do have a federal lawsuit. Don't no, be, be, listen. Okay. What was that? You when when you file the lawsuit, you have a lawsuit. It's just a matter of you have a certain amount of time that you have to get it served. And you're you're you've been moving along. You've got ninety days from the date that you file it to get all the defendants served. You're you're moving along. You're you're just fine on that. So if, if you're worrying about whether you actually have a federal lawsuit, it's uh you're worrying you know, that worry stuff we talked about, 
You're worrying for no reason whatsoever. Uh, okay. Um, so, uh, uh, so I'm going to be working on my response. I it's due next Monday, but I'm going to shoot for Friday, no later than Friday. There's not a whole lot to his motion. Uh, basically, he says that number one, um, I did not respond with an affidavit, uh, which is not true. I had a sworn notice, but he's saying number one, I didn't respond to a uh, an affidavit, a counter affidavit, and that's to what that case, uh, to his affidavit. He Bank of America had an affidavit, and um, he said I. But you're going to have an affidavit with your opposition to the motion for summary judgment. Okay. Um, you must I, have that. You do understand that, right? Sort of. Uh, no, there isn't a sort of. You yeah. have to have a an affidavit in support of your opposition to their motion for summary judgment. If you fail to have a proper affidavit with it, you're done. Okay. That that's the way it is in federal court too, but I, I forgot about that. Um all right. So that's that. Now um the second his second uh thing, his second uh, this uh argument is that uh even though there's no contract, there's an account between parties Became stated and actionable, actionable, and um, because um, evidently because I made payments on it, there's a contract. Have they have they provided uh, uh, evidence of payments? Statements. No, those that's not evidence of payments. Well. And that's another thing. They they the, the account was opened in the year 2002, and they only went back to I think about a year, and it start it did start out with a zero balance. Um, but the, the okay, was so I evidently you know uh, I'm I'm going to touch on this. Evidently, the balance was paid off, and then at some time, you know, maybe there was more charges or something on it. Could that possibly yeah. have been the case? Yes. Okay. It actually was but but you don't know her. for sure. You don't recall, right? I guess I don't. <laughs> you um, picked up. You picked up. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, and he's saying that uh, I never objected to the monthly invoices sent by the plaintiff. I made payments or partial thereon. And then he then he cited 15 U.S.C. The Fair Credit Billing Act requires the Obligated only a sixty days from the time of the creditor submits a statement. Well, here's the thing: I did submit a fair credit billing inquiry. He doesn't. He's that's something he's overlooking. I told. I, I wrote back to him when I first received the Dunning letter that that I had made a um, a uh, an inquiry of the Fair Credit Billing Act. So that shoots that whole argument down. And I made it within the sixty days. Of the statement when I the statement that I well questioned. this is this is what you have to put into your opposition. Remember, an opposition to summary judgment has to show the court where there are there is at least one issue of material fact before the court to prohibit summary judgment. Now, right. if you're if you're 
going under that 1692 or the uh, uh, Credit Billing Act, Fair Credit Billing Act. You know, you you. That's one of the things when we started doing the stuff for the Fair Credit Billing Act, the people involved in it just kind of disappeared on us. There there was never any follow through. Uh huh. And I'm assuming you're one of those people. And no, when nothing nothing happened. Uh, I I kept you. I did send one email to you saying nothing's happening. Okay. I did let you know because nothing was happening, and you hadn't heard from me from a while. And I thought I ought to send Dave something, let him know. Yeah. Well. And anyway. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to go back to that because that's not right. that wasn't the way we were going to do things. But anyway, um, you just you have to show where there was an issue, uh, or there is an issue of material fact. And you know, part of your defense there is going to be that you uh, made a dispute as exhibits to your. Motion for summary judgment. You're going to uh, put copies of the uh, uh, dispute that you filed. They they never uh, responded to it. So there's an issue of material fact, isn't there? Right, right. They didn't respond to it according to uh, Fair Credit Billing Act. Um, yes. So now that's their main two arguments um, that I did not put in an affidavit and that um, I did not object to the monthly statements. And then their third argument is because of the first two. <laughs> There's no material, what is it? Fail to state There's no issue of material fact before the court, so summary judgment should be granted. Yeah. Right. Well, That's the beginning yeah. and the end of it. Yeah. Well, you're going to show that you did do a dispute under the Fair Credit Billing Act, and you never received a response. Okay. Uh, it's, now, the last question is in regard to evidence in my response to um, this motion for summary disposition. I'm going to put the the, the um, letter that I sent last year to Bank of America disputing, you know, making a uh, credit billing act uh, inquiry or dispute. Do what, should I put in the last statement that I had be, um, uh, in, in conjunction with that dispute letter because that would prove that there's not 60 that it's less than 60 days between the statement and the uh well you could put that in that uh, showing the date that you got the statement and that your dispute was done within the 60 days according to statute and they failed to respond well bank of america and i had been corresponding there's several letters because they just kept sending me form things they never really addressed it personally uh, they, you mean, mean properly? What's that? You mean they didn't? They never addressed it properly? Properly, yes, properly. Do I need to include all of the letters that I have sent them, and all of the things that they sent me in this response? Terry, what are your thoughts on that? I'm I'm thinking that uh, uh, you might want to do that. Okay, because that would well, be discovered. All, all the well, of course, yeah. she's saying they had some back and forth correspondence with them, but they never responded specifically. Uh, yeah, as required under the FCBA. Well, yeah, I mean, the court yeah. can clearly see that that is not what's required by the FCBA. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, w- I would state in the, arg- in the argument that uh, the FCBA uh, section so-and-so, so-and-so states that when a dispute is made, so, uh, you know, the uh, uh, party against who the dispute is being made must respond such and such and so-and-so. In other words, you've got to educate the court a little bit because I guarantee you the court doesn't know crap about it. That, that brings another issue. You said not to bring up any federal law, and I, I believe in, in the... No, 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 no. We said you don't bring up the FDCPA. Specifically. Because if you bring that into the state case and there's a ruling, that negates your federal case. Then they're going to go after dismissing your federal case on res judicata. So your federal case isn't about FCBA, it's about FDCPA. Federal Debt Collection, Fair Debt Collection Practices Act. Right. So I can bring up the Fair Credit Billing Act in this? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, they've already brought it up, have they not? Yes, yes. Well, there you go. You need to address it. You need to go right back and show, yes, you did make a dispute. You made a dispute. The the, uh, dispute letter is attached. And uh, 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 although uh, the defendant uh, had various correspondence with Bank of America, uh, see exhibits four, five, six, seven, and eight attached, uh, Bank of America never properly responded and verified. And I believe it also says in that Fair Credit Billing Act that they only have so much time to answer, and if they don't, they 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 are barred from collecting. Yes, oh. it certainly does. Sure does. And you're going to want to educate the court by putting that in there. Right. You're going to want so to point to that specific barred, language in the statute. So, sweetie, if they are barred from from uh, collecting. Suing you for it is certainly collection action, is it not? Can you repeat that? I if Suing you is a collection action. If they are barred from collection action for failure to respond to your FCBA dispute, they are also barred from suing you. Grounds for dismissal with prejudice. And that's also beneficial for your federal lawsuit because you made a dispute and they uh, continued collection and they never uh, verified the debt under the Fair Credit Billing Act. And I think at that time, I would move the court to dismiss the case on those grounds. Oh, wow. Okay. Would so when you I not, respond, Dave? I put, yeah, put absolutely. All that, put all that stuff in? Absolutely. Okay, so I just want to make sure I understand. Um, answer all of that and then move the court to dismiss with prejudice. With prejudice. Yeah. They have no but you have to here. you have to make the argument that, that you know at the end kind of your your summation the uh, uh, defendant has not only shown this court that there are uh, is it. 
least one issue of material fact prohibiting summary judgment, but has also shown the court that the uh, defendant did a proper and timely uh, Fair Credit Billing Act dispute with Bank of America, and Bank of America failed in every respect to, to properly respond. And therefore, uh, according to Section so, so on and so forth of the Fair Credit Billing Act, they are prohibited, Bank of America is prohibited from uh, any further collection actions on this account. At this time. Now, the FCBA, if I'm not mistaken, it's been a while. Yeah, time. we'd have to go back and review uh, all but, the details. But I'm pretty sure I'm right on this. They are prohibited from attempting to collect until they provide what was demanded in the dispute, which, of course, they can never do. You follow why I said that? So she, that needs to be, uh, they are prohibited from any collection, from collection action at this time. In other words, fine, if they want to come up with what she demanded in that dispute letter, they can sue her again later. But they yeah. can't sue her now. Yeah. Okay. I'll do that. That answers it. I'll be I'll be working on this. Uh I'll I'll be on the call tomorrow and Thursday and uh see what comes. <laughs> okay. Great, thank you. All righty, thank you. All right, we're going to go to our last caller here, which is Northern Louisiana. Good evening. Good evening, Dave. How you guys doing? Pretty good. How are you? Fantastic, thank you. Hey, I had a question. You had a caller on earlier. Uh, I think it was a married couple. That was my question is in reference to uh, to a married couple. Does not if it's a husband or wife do not do not they have an interest in uh, the outcome of that particular of, of a particular case? No, no. Did, from the standpoint of the court, uh, they are looked at as individuals, and uh, a husband cannot defend a wife any more than a wife can defend a husband. They have to have an attorney. No, I'm not talking about in terms of defending. What I'm saying. Uh, I know it like in 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 a lot of in most states uh there's like a fifty fifty situation with the, with the husband and wife, so that's not defending you're protecting your interest no it's it's defending it's you're you're not protecting that's not the way the court's going to look at it. You can't come in and defend yours because you're not defending hers then. So if they've sued her, yeah. and he comes in to defend. He can, you know, under under the what the idea that you're talking about. He's defending his his half, right. but he's right. not defending her half. Okay, I know. So unless she is competent and stands up to defend her half, um, then there's nothing. And, but see, the thing is, they're not suing her or him and her, they're suing her. That's why 
she has to have an attorney or she has to be competent before the court herself. I mean, that's just the way that it is. You, you, you know, you, it'd be nice if you could step in and, and do that, but you can't. We've had lots of people try that. We've had, uh, I've seen a number of situations, I had discussions on that where somebody tried to do that and the court's just going to cut them off. About the only time we've ever seen where uh, that's allowed to any degree is if there is some level of incompetency on somebody, and it's generally like a family member. You know, there's a, a language differential in one person. Uh, you know, let, let's say somebody's from Guatemala and they don't speak English at all, and you know, the husband can go in and, and you know, let's say the wife is being sued, the husband can speak. Uh, simply because of the language barrier, they uh, some of the courts will allow that. But as far as standing up and actually doing a uh, uh, a defense like an attorney would do, no, they won't allow that. Okay, I, I, I was just thinking about that. I said, oh, I said, well, it seemed like that uh, the parties had, but you, if you say that that's the situation, that's the situation. Well, think of- I, I've seen it a number of times. You know, we, we there's been lots of discussions through the years that I've had on various calls of, you know, people arguing, well, you know, you should be able to, should be able to, you know, should be able to do this. Well, it's not a matter of what you think should be able to do. It's a matter of what the court says is the rules. And either a person has to stand up, uh, with very few exceptions, either a person has to be able to stand up or sit down if they're handicapped or whatever, and defend themselves or they have to be represented by somebody, and that person has to be an attorney. And it doesn't matter, you, you know, age or anything else. You know, sometimes they'll say, oh, well, you know, my grandmother's really old and she doesn't have the money for attorney. Well, you know, sorry, the lack of money, that uh, that's, that's not guess, the court's problem. I, I, guess I, I guess I ran into a, into, um, a very <laughs> lenient judge then <laughs> because – you know, I had a situation with, uh, you know, with my wife that she had, she was, she was written a, a, a summons and um, they, they permitted me, you know, uh, to, uh, to deal with that particular case. Okay. What, uh, summons for what? Uh, this was, this was, this, uh, we owned, we owned a, uh, a, a, a restaurant. Okay. You know, and and um, and and they had permit they had permitted me to um, to to uh, to deal with that case. You know, in, yeah. In but what what, what was what was the cause of action in the case? Is what I'm getting at. What what was the you know <clears throat> the uh, the cause of action was like um, uh, I think it was like selling cigarettes or something like that. Oh, okay. So this was the state. Yes, it was a state, was a oh. state case. Oh, okay. Well, with you being part of the business like that, I can understand where they would allow you to uh, to deal with that. You know, these these other situations like this over debt matters and stuff like that really is a totally different thing. It's that's civil. Where actually the, that state case there would fall either under administrative uh, uh, or or criminal. Yeah, quasi. Yeah. 
yeah, I can understand why why you know you'd be able to step in there because as a a co-owner of the business, you're kind of uh, you know representing the uh, the business there, and that that in your was, own interest. That was yeah. Well, and that's probably pretty much. Uh, I think that's going to fall under the administrative statutes. Right. David Wood. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you you had, you had mentioned something about the about the language. You know, uh, you think that would be a, another angle to go at, uh, being that uh, law is a totally different language than most people are used to? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I can't blame you for to trying it. to be creative, but I don't think that's yeah. going to work too well. No, they're supposed to be allowed to fold, spittle, and mutilate the language against us. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I, I'm not going to hold you up. Yeah, well, nice try. I mean, you know. <laughs> I wish, because I would have a heyday. <laughs> yeah. All righty. Well, I'll tell you what, we're past time, and uh, we're going to wrap things up tonight. Uh, I want to thank everybody for Dave, joining Dave, us. Dave, before you do that, let yeah. me just share this little thing from Dr. Okay. Graves. It's real, real short, but pay close attention, okay? Um, this and and uh, again, tell everybody where this is from. This is from Jurisdictionary, Dr. Gray. Pay close attention. It's great advice. Whether you're a plaintiff or defendant, you must know what smart defendants do to dodge lawsuits. If a defendant is served with a complaint, he may dodge the lawsuit by filing motions to avoid filing an answer. This is called the flurry of motions. Once a defendant files an answer, he's locked in and misses the chance to dodge the lawsuit altogether. Don't file an answer if you can dodge the lawsuit with a flurry of motions. Inexperienced lawyers and pro se people make the mistake of filing an answer to plaintiff's complaint instead of using the flurry of motions, like motion to dismiss. Motion to strike, motion for more definite statement. Each of these motions postpones the necessity of filing an answer to the complaint and gains you valuable time and evidence gathering opportunities. In some cases, it puts an end to the case. Period. Use your flurry of motions. Yep, absolutely true. All right, everybody. Well, like I said, uh, we're past time here tonight. I want to thank everybody for joining us. There is a call tomorrow night on Blog Talk Radio, 8 o'clock Eastern Time, blogtalkradio.com forward slash W-L-I-Y-D. You can get to Jesse's website by opening a browser. Simply type in Knockout Collectors, and that's T-O-R-S, Dot net. Don't do a search for it. Just type it in. Use your fingers there a little bit. And that'll take you right to Jesse's website. If you think you can learn all that you need to do by listening to some of these calls and thinking, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to save that money I would uh, spend being a member of the website, you're going to learn just enough to be dangerous to yourself, and you're probably going to have a bad outcome. You need the organized information that you can go and study 
And then when you have questions, you come on here to these calls, and we can help you fit the pieces of the puzzle together when you have questions about it. There's no substitute for being a member of the website. It's $99 for the first month, $49 a month after that for as long as you want to be a member. No commitments. And uh, Terry even coordinates people that want to share memberships uh, because we know there's some people out there really super tight on money. Uh, that way it gets your cost down to $24.50 a month. So two people can share things. We have a number of people that do that. It's beneficial to everybody. It's not about making money. Uh, websites do cost money. Full-time webmasters do cost money. That's why there is a cost. It's not a free website. It can't be. And uh, it isn't until you get in there and look and see how much stuff is there that you realize, oh, my God, I can't imagine the amount of work that it's taken to organize and do all this stuff. All the hundreds of webinars and the well over 20,000 postings in the forum of every kind of question you can imagine and plenty that you can't. It's all there. You can go in and study in that forum and get answers to questions where you never even thought the, about the question. And they can be very, very, very helpful to a situation you may have. So that's how you get uh, the information to do what these people are doing. And then, of course, Carrie used to do a Wednesday call. But she does it on Thursday now. So Thursday night at 8 o'clock Eastern, tune into Terry's call, and you'll probably hear my voice there too. Jeez, I'm on this a lot. Monday night, Tuesday night, Thursday night. But I like what I do. I, uh, I like helping everybody and uh, sharing the knowledge that I have learned. And uh, I'm not the brightest bulb on the string, but I try and share what I've got. Thanks, everybody, for joining us tonight. Thank you, Terry, for all the wonderful information you brought to us tonight about the FCRA. Everybody become Paul Revere, and let's go out there and make a difference. You're welcome, Dave, and uh, thank you, too, Sam. I love you right back. Everybody, have a great rest of the evening, and if you tune into Blog Talk Radio tomorrow night, You'll hear my voice unless I get run over by a truck in the meantime. Have a great evening, everybody. Is it me at all? I hear a voice. Yeah, hey, Dave. I tried uh, chiming in and raising my hand when you made the announcement with the Star 8, and I got disconnected three times. Unless I misunderstood, I tried the Pound 8, and that didn't disconnect me, but it didn't give me any kind of message saying your hand is raised, you're in the queue. No, I, you, I took everybody that was in the queue, and when I took the gentleman from Louisiana, he was the last one, and there was one other person that popped up later. But we're, so we're what's the, the actual path. protocol for raising your hand? Is it star, star eight? Star eight. Yep. It, it hung up, but the phone hung up on me every single time I did that. I don't know what to tell you. We, I had yeah. a number of other people that were... Uh, that were in the queue. Now, uh, I'm on it, UMA, and it did give me a warning when I called in saying that, you know, this number's been flagged. It could be, you know, oh, blah, you, blah, blah, blah. But if we'll, we'll using, still allow you to come through. If you're using some kind of strange phone system, it may be that their system doesn't allow you to use some of these prompts. That's uh, It could very well be something that... Uh, there are some of those symptoms, those systems that flag conference calls. Yeah. 
Yeah, T-Mobile, which is my cellular service, and that's why I didn't use them. That's one of the yeah, services so that do the same thing. The yep, yep, yep. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, like very, I think that's that's going to be a problem that you're going to have to resolve with uh, whoever you're using for a phone system because uh, other people are having no problems tonight. So that's all I can. Well, tell how you. do I get onto the raise my hand if it isn't an issue that I can resolve with my carrier? Um, get well, it, you can come be calling on in on another carrier. You can come on the Thursday night call where you don't have to raise your hand at all. Right. You can call in on Terry's call on Thursday evening. I'm under the gun here with an FDCPA complaint, but I guess that's the only option. I have a option, different then. system, and I don't need to mute the board and do the hand-raising thing. Okay. Well, maybe you can point it out to other callers that are probably maybe experiencing the same thing. I'll check with my carrier and see what they say, but they're probably going to tell me it's not me or them. It's, they're going to say it's talk shoot. Well, I, I don't know. All I can tell you is I... I had a number of other people that raised their hands, and I was able to call on them tonight. If it if it did it to you every time, I would very very highly suspect it's something to do with your carrier. That's all I can tell you, because the, the system seemed to be working fine. Now you said you're under the gun, really under the gun with something. Is it something that can be done in a couple three minutes? Answer well, your I question. Hope so. Yeah, if you don't mind. I got well. Uh, let's well, let's the main if, issue you know if you're if a, you're under. Well, hang on. If you're under the gun, then let's see if we can cover it real quick, because that's why we're here. I just don't want to get into something long drawn out here. All right, good deal. Um, my case was dismissed. It was an FDCPA case, um, and it was dismissed. It was dismissed without prejudice, and the court afforded me uh, 14 days amend. to amend the complaint. Yes, because I, I put that into my complaint. Right. I filed a stipulated motion for an extension of time. They gave me more time because I didn't get the notice until eight days of the 14 days had already passed. So they, they went ahead and gave me the extended time. Some of the questions I have is when I first filed my original complaint, I did what was called a waiver of service that gives the defendants a much longer time to respond than normal service. Are you familiar with the waiver of service? I've never done it. I, I know about the waiver of service, yes. But, but uh, usually they courts, have to do it within 60 days. Yes, yeah, 60 Correct. days. And in, many, and, and, and in many federal jurisdictions, it's required. It, it's required. It was in mine. Yeah. Wasn't okay. required in mine. I tried it for the first time and it worked and it was great because it bought me time. My question is, is on an amended complaint, can I do a waiver of service again? I on an amended would, complaint, you don't have to go through the service. You, you don't you do service. You just file your amended complaint. With the, in, in and, then okay. send the, and then send them a copy. Mm -hmm. Okay, mail. so then that's not an option then. Okay, and then when I go to do, initially when I filed my, my original complaint, I also filed a judicial notice with uh, my rights and claims, which just had a list of, um, different case sites that said, you know, the court has to construe or, or treat me better than an attorney and blah, blah, blah. That wouldn't get you anywhere. Do I have anywhere? to refile yeah. that again? Yeah. No, hold on a second. They won't get you anywhere, number one. And It did no. in the case that the court responded to some of the issues in there uh, without actually 
um, how do you say this? Without citing it, the court said, yes, we have to uh, give you and tell you how to do your complaint and fix it if you don't do that. Whereas in previous instances where I hadn't done that, they didn't do that and they just slammed the door on me. So I think they read it and I think that their order was on it. Now, Right. They don't have to, though, because that's not what judicial notice is actually for. Yeah. But okay. I don't want to get into a bunch of discussion here. I want to answer, be okay. able to answer your question. My questions. initial question on that is just, if I file the judicial notice of rights and claims, do I need to refile it with the amended complaint? No, I would not. I wouldn't because, you know, you might take that court off that you're, you're trying to tell the court how to do its job. It knows it has to. Yeah. Okay. Then uh, the next thing is a civil cover sheet. Do I have to do a civil cover sheet with an amendment? No. You already no. established a case, but they gave you leave to amend, so that's unnecessary. Okay. So it's not like I'm starting from scratch. Correct. Okay. And then exhibits, because the court dismissed my FBCPA and Rosenthal uh, claims based on my lack of articulating the true facts, the way I wrote it, it made it sound like from the day I received the the Dunning letter to the day I responded was 45 days. So the court said, well, you missed it by 30 days, so they don't have a responsibility to respond. But the true facts are that, and after I read the FDCPA, uh, the, the stat, the, that part of it, it states that 30 days from the date that you received it. And That's so correct. I have, I have copies of my letters that I sent to them, and in it, it clearly states your letter dated such and such date. I received on this date, and from that date to the date that it was sent is within the 30 days. So now I believe that's going to reinstate my case. Okay. Now, let me, let, me, let me give you a little tip here. When you go back and you send your case, do or, or you know refile your case, don't get into the date of their letter. You mention the the Dunning letter uh, plaintiff received on X date. Don't even put the date of the letter. Yeah, don't even because what you're doing, you, what they're trying to do is they're taking in extra information you put in there, and they're saying, "Well, look, we, you know, the letter's dated uh, such and such." What okay. the pertinent, the most important thing is when you received it. So don't even put the other information in there. You received it on this date, and here's the letter that you sent, uh, and here's the date on that letter, and that was sent within 30 days. Okay. Okay, I like that. That's good. Because well, it's you're necessary. Right. It gives them less information, but it states the true fact. Well, yes. And see, the thing is, when you put the other date in there, if, if you say that, oh, well, a letter was dated this, but I didn't receive it to this, then you've laid all that stuff out on the other side. And the other guy's, well, you know, there's a yeah. date on the letter, you know, you, and, and the, the, the court. Well, the the court is going to be looking at the dates and thinking, well, okay, you know, the the letter was dated such and such. What is con the only thing that the court should be concerned with is when you got it. The, the date on the letter is nothing. It's when you got it. Yeah, because throwing other dates in there gives them the roadmap to confuse the court. Exactly. 
Okay, so I need to include those letters I sent as exhibits now. I in would. In my amended complaint. Absolutely, I would too. I would. Okay, good. And no, Do I need to send the plaintiff that... received the Dunning letter on June 1st, 2017. Plaintiff sent two letters dated June 26th and June 29th, 2017, copies of which uh, are attached as Exhibit 1 and 2. Okay, good. I can do that. That's easy. I've got those. Uh, one of the other things that the court addressed in their order dismissing my case was all of the particulars that the Dunning letter is supposed to have per the FDCPA. Do I go and scrutinize that Dunning letter, which was in my case a statement that I received first, and then it was a hello goodbye or a hello letter from the new, uh, you know, debt collector? Do I go through and scrutinize those as well and pick them you apart? You should scrutinize every document you get. You have to give the court well, enough facts that. and delineate. Well, well, just hear me out. But do I include them in an exhibit as well and in this complaint to support my letters well, that I, I sent? Well, I don't know. Well, you Only made a statement. they contain support. Hang on a minute. Just stop. Let me say something here. I'm sorry. You said that the court addressed something about the issues in that. What exactly did the court say? Okay, I'll tell you exactly right now. Uh, what they said was, because I didn't include anything in there about the Dunning letters other than the dates that they were written. Um, well, did you properly state a claim? I'm beginning to wonder no, if you did and how you wrote your complaint. No. Apparently, I didn't because they found holes in it and were able to um, get get through it. Here it says, it says, Defe uh, the, the defendant qualified. Oh, one of the, the key things that was a bonus. What in my did, favor, first of all, what did the court say? That's what I want to know at this point. What did the court say? Okay, give me just a second here. Let me find it. Okay, whether defendant's conduct violated... 1692G, the initial communication or notice must contain the following information. The amount of the debt, the name of the creditor to whom the debt is owed, a statement that unless the consumer, comma, within 30 days after receipt uh -huh. of the notice, disputes the validity of the debt or any portion thereof, the debt will be assumed to be valid by the debt collector. Yeah. Four, a statement that if the consumer notifies the debt collector in writing within 30-day period that the debt or any portion thereof is disputed, the debt collector will obtain verification of the debt or a copy of a judgment against the consumer and a copy of such verification or judgment. Yeah, we're familiar with all that. Okay, it says that, and it says to satisfy this, and then it goes on and it states what should be in that notice. Well, and this is just part of the. Well, no, wait a minute. You're FTC just jumping PA. around. You're making generalizations. You're not telling me exactly what the court said. I want you to read to me what the court said. It says the court must find that plaintiff's allegation do not possibly state a claim that defendant's notice was deficient under 1692 GA. 
Here it says, plaintiff alleges that on such and such date, he received a notice from Resurgent transferring servicing rights to ShellPoint. Because the notice was not an exhibit to the complaint, the court is unable to ascertain from plaintiff's allegations which debt collector, Resurgent or ShellPoint, sent the notice. Furthermore, the court cannot ascertain from plaintiff's allegation what information the notice contained. Aside from identifying the transfer of servicing rights from resurgent to Shellpoint. Consequently, the court must find that plaintiff's allegations do not plausibly state a claim that defendants. Okay, well, sufficient. it sounds to me like you, like you did a pretty poor job of articulating where the violation was. The violation I focused on was that they didn't validate and they didn't respond. And I know where I failed on that because as we discussed the dates already. This here. Um, I don't recall specifically addressing that notice, which they are responding to in here. So my question is, and I, I did go through and I did, you know, scrutinize the, the letters and I made note of all of my discrepancies of those letters in my response or in my debt validation or debt dispute letters that I sent to them. I went line by line and itemized what was wrong in those okay. letters, which will now be exhibits. Well, what did they fail to do that was a violation? They failed to validate the debt or notify me within five days of the first communication uh, that the validation was going to be evaluated, and they didn't ever respond. They're not required to do that. I don't know what gives you that idea. If they the first contact, if they sent you that information, here the court states, Section 1692G. This is the court order governs that validation of debt and requires that within five days after the initial communication yeah, with a yeah, consumer. Yeah, we understand that. We know that. Okay. Okay. So what constitutes that five the, the initial communication? Well, is they, it the letter? What, how did how did this how did this start? Where were you saying the uh, violation occurred? Violation you got, occurred. You, it, it all when a started with debt what? collector. It, it all it, started well, with. Hang on, hang on a second. Just answer my questions, okay. please. Okay. <clears throat> Where exactly did this start? What was the the very beginning? You got a Dunning letter, or 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 what from from who? Resurgent <laughs> Capital Mortgage Servicing, or something to that effect. And that was well, in the middle you of. You should a know exactly who it is. Resurgent Mortgage. Yeah, they. I don't know who they are. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Just Resurgent. I got that letter that was dated December nineteenth while I was in the middle of a lawsuit with Bank of America for an FDCPA suit. On well, Bank of America isn't subject to the yeah. FDCPA. Well, no, I understand that. And so that case I lost because of that fact. Right. But during the lawsuit, they pitched my servicing rights to Resurgent. Resurgent communicated with me, which I didn't receive their communication until on or about January 7th, okay. but they had dated it December 19th, and it was yeah. a statement, if I remember correctly, and then on the 24th, they sent a hello letter, 
again, I didn't receive that letter until on or about January 7th. I okay. responded well, on January yeah. 31st. Uh, okay. When Never when got a response from Resurgent, and then a month later, in February, I received a new hello letter from a company called Shellpoint. Shellpoint had acquired or purchased or somehow became the servicer over Resurgent. Resurgent never, ever responded. I sent the same or similar letter with the title on the document stating it was a second request for validation and debt dispute. I sent it within 30 days of receiving it, never got a response. That They never responded. I mean, appropriately. They sent stuff, but it wasn't a response. And so that's where the battle well, began. Well, now, wait a minute. And they, they responded. With a deed of trust. They responded. A, if they responded, they responded. It may not have been a proper response, but they responded. They didn't answer. They didn't answer. They didn't properly respond. Okay. They didn't properly respond. And so we went back and forth. I can't tell you how many times. I kept sending them letters. They kept sending me statements. I kept sending validation notices with further information. Long story short, they finally disappeared and went away for about a year and a half and didn't ever communicate me. Next thing I got was a notice of, uh, what do you call it, uh, notice of default. And that was back in Yeah, but now where exactly are you alleging the violations under FTCPA? When did they occur? They occurred back in January of 2014. Well, you can't and sue back then. There's a one-year statute of limitations. I understand, but they have, even within the last 12 months, and this was in my uh, complaint, that within 12 months of the date that I filed my complaint, they had uh, sent me six additional Dunning letters. They sent me Dunning letters while I'm in a lawsuit with them. That doesn't matter. You That's have to. That, I'm, I'm going to guess. Violation. Well, I'm going to guess from the way you're explaining this to me that you don't have a full understanding of of the FTCPA. I, I, that's, that's that's a guess because uh, you've done a real good job of confusing me as to where you are saying the uh, violations occurred that is within the statute of limitations. And and I'm, I'm I'm very concerned that it's not being articulated properly in the claim put before the court, and that's why your case got dismissed. Because if you don't if you don't have it concise, and you don't have it in a uh, organized fashion, um, that's what's going to happen. And I you know without reading your document, I I've got. I really have a very hard time getting a handle on, on things the way you've explained it to me. Is there a way I can uh, maybe email it to you? No, I, I don't have time. I don't have time. We don't look at people's documents. It's we, <laughs> There's My too many of you guys out there and not did. enough of us. Yeah. No, I get that. I mean, I'm 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 trying to get an understanding of this, but you you've you've jumped around and, and the way you answered some of my questions, uh, all it did was confuse me even more. Terry, uh, what are your thoughts here? Do you understand what's going on? 
Well, it sounds to me like he's trying to make a claim on a failure to validate when that particular violation has expired the statute of limitations because it took place in 2014 and future demands for validation after 2014 based on Dunning letters from the same entity are not going to constitute a violation of failure to validate because it's not within 30 days of the first um, contact or Dunning letter. Yeah, see, there's there's been several several entities that have uh, come into this, obviously. And now, if it's a different if it's a different entity, Dave. Yeah, yeah. When when a new company shows up, they send you a Dunning letter. You have to respond within thirty days. Yeah. Right. You have to make your demand for validation. If they don't properly validate, but they continue to collect, then there's a violation. Okay. Uh, if they don't validate and they hand it off to someone else, then there, that's a continuing, uh, and, and the next entity uh, comes after you, then that's a violation that goes back to the original one, the, the prior one as well, because they didn't validate and they passed it on for uh, additional collection actions. Except that you don't have a claim against a new entity unless you demand validation from them in a timely manner exactly. as well. Right, which is what happened. But what if the new entity bought out the first entity? It doesn't matter. If you are pre – okay, let's just give this a scenario. ABC sends you a Dunning letter. You debt validate them. They ignore you. Instead, a year and a half later, a DEF company sends you a Dunning letter and says, Hello, we've acquired your debt from ABC entity. And then they send you a Dunning letter saying, Okay, now, we want you to pay us. This is DEF entity. Well, that's two different entities, two different entities specifically identif identifying themselves as different, even though the second one is saying, we've acquired it. It doesn't matter whether they bought it, borrowed it, or stole it. They're not the same guys who came after you before. So if you debt validate them now, and they fail to validate, and then they continue to try to collect, bingo, there's your violation. Which is what happened. Okay, but you didn't make that clear to us. Well, I tried to. Yeah, but you but know that what? Validation, yeah, the initial yeah. validation... The initial validation request was in 2014. The initial Dunning letter was in 2014. They have never properly responded, 
Okay, and they that, continue that, that, to send me dunning It doesn't matter what happened in 2014. It doesn't matter that you don't that you validated them. It doesn't matter that they ignored you um, because they now it's somebody else. Okay, and you've confused the court. That has given them that roadmap to use it against you to further confuse the court. Now, the court is confused except for the date that I responded by. That was the main thing was that I didn't respond within 30 days, well, which I did, that, and I now have proof. Because you're, That's you're, the only you're, thing the court said. Your cause of action for the first entity is gone. Yeah. Let me, Terry, let me step in here for a okay. second. When, when they filed their motion to dismiss, mm-hmm. did you argue that? I did. And why didn't you? I'm going to assume because if you had, I don't. They didn't address any of the facts. They didn't address any of the facts. Their motion to dismiss was based on, I didn't, and we discussed this before, and you helped me with it, and I think it was pretty solid. It had to do with not. You're you're getting into a bunch of discussion. I I want to get to the heart of things here. We're we're running way past three, four, five minutes here. I mean, we're we're. 20, 20 past the hour, or I mean 40 past the hour. Um, it, when they did the motion to dismiss, that wasn't an issue? No, the issue was they wanted to get me on uh, judicial estoppel and not providing an indispensable party. They did address that the FDCPA wasn't pled property, but they didn't get into any of the details. They just said, oh, we're not a debt collector, so it doesn't apply, which is basically well, what they said. Okay, but did you in your suit uh, properly allege them to be a debt collector? Yes. yes, I did. And in the order, the court said, yes, they do fall under a debt collector in the okay. terms of the FTCPA. But since you didn't allege your FTCPA claims right, because the date you responded by was 15 days after the – 30-day period. The, we well, just no, it was, it, was, it was that many days after the date of their letter, not exactly. when you... Exactly. Okay. So that's where but, I failed is articulating the dates. Well, that's what you just have to straighten up when you, you do your amended complaint. Which is what I'm and, going to do, but you guys right. are telling me that I can't use that as the violation because it happened over a year ago, but the continual violation is what I'm focusing on. No, it's not a continual violation. It's a new violation, and it didn't begin until you validated that second entity. You got to let go of the first I did that. You're getting too far into it. I did that with both entities within 30 days of each Dunning letter. Yeah, I I understand that. What you have to do is properly articulate. You received, I think where you, you built yourself in a problem when you said, you know, their letter was dated this and I received it on this. You, you, you just stick with, I received, or, you know, plaintiff received the uh, uh, Dunning letter on June 1st. Plaintiff sent uh, a demand for validation uh, on June 17th, see Exhibit 1. There, It's just that simple. It's that clear cut. And I, that I got that part. Right I don't need there. help with that part. I have that part. 
The part I'm having a problem with now is where you guys said that I can't go back and use those documents because they're over a year old. So that's the part I'm having a problem with now because in my complaint, it clearly stated I did respond to both entities within the right time frame. I just used the wrong date, so I'll fix that. Then it was the ongoing continual violation. And you keep referring to an ongoing continual violation. I don't understand what you mean by that. Meaning that they didn't validate and they keep sending me requests for payment. They keep sending me dunning letters. Well, then tell the court that. I did tell the court that, and the court didn't address that. They only addressed the dates. But I'm trying to get with you guys. You guys are telling me that my claim is going to fail because it doesn't matter because it was the original uh, well, notice you, was over 12 it, months yes, ago. It, the, the, I would have to see your documents to see what you're doing, and and I just but you I, won't. But you won't look at it. No, I I don't. No, I don't have time for that. I'm a full-time commodities trader. I do this three nights a week. I don't have time to start reading over everybody's documents. I'm sorry, I don't do it for other no, people. I, get it. I can't do it for you. No, I get it, and, and I don't. I don't. I'm not trying. I think to you're misunderstanding you what we're trying to tell you, and it's late and. We can try this again on Thursday. Um, maybe I can put it into words that you will understand. But I, I'm going to tell you, you deal with what the court told you to do. The court told you that your case is dismissed without prejudice to give you a chance to amend the complaint. When you amend the complaint, you only focus on going after that second entity which is the only FDCPA argument that's going to hold up because the first one was gone by the statute of limitations. Make sure you don't put in dates that uh, throw a roadmap for them to twist around for the court and make sure that you are going after the right entity. Which Not is what I did. First. I never even addressed the first entity. I was Exactly. Well, Dave asked me to go to the beginning, and that's why I shared that. Oh, well, God, that's yeah. okay. Okay. Do you understand what I just told you that you yes. need to do? Yes, I did. Yes, okay. I did. Yes, I did. I got it. That clears it up. And make sure you do it with specificity um, in regard only to that second entity. Spell it out. A, B, C, exactly when the second entity came into the picture, the date, uh, send it, attach your letters, show when you received the letter, don't mention the date on the letter, then when you sent your demand for validation, I would include a copy of that with a copy of the certified mail receipt, and attach that as well to establish that you have standing to uh, and a complaint on which uh, relief can be granted. Now, I actually put the um, the certified number on all of the letters I send out. Good. Uh, but here's an interesting thing, and I don't know if you guys have ever run into this, but I went into the postal service and ran that number and it doesn't come up one of mine they lost too 
No, it's, an, it's not out. necessarily. It, if if you send it certified, and uh, they don't uh, get the card back or something, uh, you'll see that it it just doesn't show a, a delivery time. But that no, it doesn't even mail, show up. Like it says, it says your entry is invalid or something. Yeah. Well, maybe ago. you're. Well, maybe you're not typing it in properly. If you're putting spaces in. You have to no, just no, put no. the number I, I in. Did it. Other other groups have said that after about two years, it times out and it. Yes, it. that's true. If that was one that you sent back in 2014, which shouldn't be yes. in this in this lawsuit to begin with, that's what we've been discussing. Forget that one. It's moot. It hasn't got anything to do with anything. So don't even put it in there. But I found that out too on one of mine. After they're a couple of years old. Yeah, they only stay in the system so long. Right, because they imagine okay. billions of them they get. Yeah. Right. Anyway, we got to wrap things up, guys. All right, guys, thanks. I'll check with my phone carrier, find out what the deal is, and then forward any info I get. Dave, Terry, I appreciate you guys entertaining my call, especially sure. at the end of it. Sure, sure. Trying to help you. It's, it's just, you know, sometimes there's a... <laughs> be a whole lot of confusion, but uh, oh, Terry, on, Terry will be on her call Thursday night. Short period of time. Come on the Thursday call so you don't have the phone issue. Okay, we'll do. All righty. Everybody. Thanks, guys. Take care. All of you that are left, there's a few of them uh, that have hung on here. Uh, most of the people uh, did jump off, but uh, anyway, tomorrow night, everybody, 8 o'clock Eastern. Talk to you then. Thanks again, Terry. All right. Good night. Good night.